Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of This Is Not The Time. I deeply apologize for the lack of content for the past three weeks. The world around me is shifting and shifted uncomfortably so. It has been a year and probably five months since traveling outside Brunei is restricted. The idea of it, much more bleak, since the number of cases has shot up drastically and the possibility of a full lockdown is just one mocking nudge away, which could mark two years of no international travel. Oh yeah. And the night the curfew from 8pm to 4am was recently introduced. This casts my mind back to my travel experience stories. If you still remember Fatin, from the first episode, my roommate, who has her third eye opened, or hijab, unveiled. Tonight's episode will revolve around a group of friends. The second reason for the delay, and it is the biggest reason, is that my recollection of this story is very, very fuzzy. So I apologize for that. If I knew how to be not forgetful, I would take on that chance. So let's begin. When Fatin and I started uni, there used to be the three of us, Fatin, LB, and I. We grew close in a short time as we had almost all our classes together and we humans, as herd animals, tend to stick to what's familiar. We sometimes talk about each of our travels and LB, who recently came back from a trip in Indonesia sprung an idea that we should go somewhere this weekend, especially when assignments and projects relax. It was very late at night, so we decided to sleep over Fatin's place after God knows what we were doing. LB decided on Langkawi as the destination for our impromptu adventure. That weekend, however, was Labor Day, and much to our chagrin, bus tickets were sparse and steep. Luckily enough, Fatin found bus tickets for three. But LB decided to bring along two others. Naturally, Fatin and I thought the more could be the merrier. So five bus tickets were booked. With smiles mile wide and in a state of feverish anticipation, we squeezed in Fatin's queen-sized bed and slept because come noon, we should be on our way to the station. The five of us gathered at TBS bus station, the two boys with us, will be called Dorito and Dude. Dorito, who is tall in stature, with the upper physique of a Dorito chip, was a friend of LB and I, 
and, and most importantly, the apple of LB's eyes. Dude, thankfully, had a function in the group where he was in charge of renting a car for the weekend. After a painstakingly long nine-hour journey, we finally reached Kuala Perlis bus terminal, possibly around 10.30 p.m. As soon as we got off, we were met with an empty terminal. It was dark, with little or no illumination, except for the dull light given from the streetlights. There was no sound to be heard, not even the squeal of a tire edging around the street corner, or the cackle of old men in some mamak place, somewhere. Now, as we watched the last person drive away, we realized that our frustration had only begun. Letting out a heavy sigh, we carried on walking. This was our first visit to the terminal, and nothing was familiar. We tried to ask a passing taxi driver for help, but the driver could only offer more disappointing words. The ferry terminal is 15 minutes away, and isn't open until 6 a.m. Until then, there are no taxis operating. We were hungry, tired, and in desperate need for a shower, so we scouted for a cheap motel we can crash on, and we did. The man at the receptionist's desk gave us the last room before taking the keys and leading us to the top floor. Honestly, it was an attic room. As the man pushed open the door, a resounding echo filled the room. Cobwebs, once attached, flowed freely in the air as the open door brought to a well-worn floor. The light gave notice to the peeling paint on the walls and patches of damp mold creeping up the hallway to the bathrooms. The new air gave life to a stuffiness that entrapped the room. I grew uneasy but stayed silent. I glanced back at Fatin who had an expression that was hard to read. LB and the boys seemed to not be affected by the room and quickly claimed their territory in the two bedrooms. We huddled in the middle of the common area as we unwinded our stiff backs. I wanted to take a shower, but your girl is a scaredy cat. Instead, dude, Fadden, and I left to buy some sustenance from a nearby 7-Eleven to satiate our hunger. I honestly cannot recall much of the motel, just that it was a sleepless night for us, and I finally had the courage to take a shower only because I was accompanied by LB in the bathroom, backs facing each other. 
I want to assume we didn't sleep because we were scared to, lest something happens. Thankfully, nothing did. Apparently, getting to the island is a whole hurdle itself. We were scammed by taxi drivers, ferry tickets sold out until the afternoon, and the edges of the group in front of me blurred the old buildings. Fatin and my eyelids grew heavy. Too heavy that dude had to search for another rundown motel to actually sleep in. By 5 p.m., our feet finally set on Pula Langawi and drove to our accommodation that I booked with much haste. What we all found out was that the house that I booked was isolated and derelict from the prospects of busy city life. The dark shadows of the voluminous trees and puzzled bushes had become the structure of the forest. The drive to the main beach took 20 minutes at best. The first thing we noticed about the quaint bungalow house is the soft cooing of the chicken hens by the side of the house. The inside of the bungalow is a huge contrast to the run-down hotels we bunked in. The air wasn't stuffy, furniture not drowned in dust, and no silhouettes once covered by pictures. And most importantly, it was clean. Then the next day, we stayed in our agenda to tour around the island for good food, hit the main tourist traps and good beaches. By sunset, we melted into the beach at the end of the stretch, watching the sun wink through the treetops on the opposite island as it relinquished itself tonight, my breath flowing fluidly once again. After a hearty dinner by the beach, LB insisted that we stop by another beach before heading back to the bungalow. What can we say? LB really loved beaches. Dude, as the designated driver, with the help of ways, found a beach that's just on the way. After a few meanderings of the Kampung Road, we found the entrance that was bordered by thick vegetation. Fatin, LB, and I sat at the back seat with the boys in front. I felt Fatin fidget next to me. Glancing at her, she looked annoyed, deservedly so, with her arms folded across her chest. I asked if she's okay. The deeper we drove into the area, the lower Fatin sunk herself into the seat. I knew something was up, because I felt something was off too. I saw a dude taking a quick glance at me from the front mirror, but I shrugged it off. LB, who was oblivious and obviously elated that we found her her beach. The car stopped before the jetty and LB stepped off the car with the speed of a cheetah hunting prey. The place was empty and isolated besides the rocking boats parked by the jetty. 
no signs of human life besides us. Dorito, Dude, and LB were already walking halfway down the jetty. Fatin and I, however, were hesitant to leave the car, but curiosity got the better of me. As soon as I stepped out of the car, the smell of the salty air tickled my nose as I took in a breath of fresh air, taking my own anxiety away on the calming breeze that gently blew past through the air. I caught up with the others and found Fatin not far behind me, still with her arms crossed. Then Dorito, who was at the most front, waved at something in the distance. Then he looked back at us with a sheepish grin and said, There is someone out there. Can you guys see? LB, dude, and I squinted at the direction Dorito's finger pointed. Nothing but empty boats. Maybe it's the gentle breeze that made me believe that Dorito did see a living person. But I was curious who this person is. Dude echoed my mind. Manakan. Where? Tu, di ujong yang pakai baju putih. Ada yang melambai tadi. There, at the end, wearing a white shirt. He waved just now. Dorito pressed on. As our instinct to investigate pulled Dude, LB, and Dai closer to the end of the jetty. Our eyes still couldn't make out anything. But nevertheless, we approached closer and realized there were only dark shapes of the boats gliding through the night horizon. Seeing that there's nothing else to see, we turned back to the car. Fatin, who was now at the most front, stopped at her tracks. I just thought she was waiting for us. But as soon as I asked her, she said, Jap, hold on, letting others get in the car first. There were disembodied legs running around our car just now, she continued in a low tone. So many of them were watching us, that's why I got out of the car. We sat back in the car, silent. Dude took his time driving out of the area. Suddenly, Fatin sunk herself again into her seat and her head stooping low. She then muttered that they were peering inside the car. They're looking at me. They're looking at me. Fatin started to panic. I figured the fact that she can see them their interest. The hairs on my right arm stood erect. Oh, so they're on our right, I thought. To be honest, the car ride back to the bungalow was a blur. Relieved that the journey was uneventful, we safely got back close to 10 p.m. As soon as Dude hastened and closed the door behind him, crowing sounds hit our ears. The roosters were agitated, 
very agitated. LB, Dude, and I looked at each other with a knowing look. Then the words erupted from my mouth. Apakanto? What is that? It's late. Why are the chickens awake? As soon as I said that, crowing grew terrifyingly louder and more as though tens of chickens stood literally outside the door. I wanted to hit myself. I had realized what I had done. Now it knows. LB, Dude and I froze in fear. Dude can only offer a look that could say, Oh, you're all alone on this one, then made a dash to his room. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, all the noise came to a halt, and we were welcomed with the soothing sounds of crickets chirping. Albie and I dispersed to different rooms to gather ourselves. The time on my phone showed that it was midnight. Everyone retreated to their beds. Fatin and I shared the bed. LB and Dorito slept on the couches in the living room, leaving Dude to sleep in the master room by himself. After touring around the island, it took much of our energy that I didn't realize that Fatin had fallen asleep. With her finally asleep, I was able to get some shut-eye. It didn't last very long enough. A gust of chilly wind penetrated through the measly protection my clothes and comforter provided, straight to my feet and slowly slithered up to my nape, freezing my soul solid. By the time that uneasy coldness reached the back of my head, my ears can only hear the rampant thudding in my heart. Petrified with fear, I felt a sudden urge to wake Fatin up. I sneakily slid my hand under her pillows to nudge her awake. Nothing. The more I tried to wake her up, the coldness loomed overhead like a thick blanket as if to warn me to not wake her up. With one last powerful push, Fatin finally moved. Ah... She groggily said. Slowly, the coldness melted away. Fatin turned around, so we were facing each other. Watching her lack of reaction, I thought there was nothing behind me now. So I caught a glimpse at the mirror facing my back. Nothing. I wasn't able to sleep until I was sure the sun was out. I explained the situation to Fatin that morning but she definitely saw nothing. I wasn't too sure if she even believed me. Instead, I told myself it was perhaps my imagination. Maybe the chickens got too in my head. Thinking back, I only remember one thing. There were no roosters in the chicken coop. So... What was outside the door last night? Thank you for listening in. And good night.